This is Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks, and welcome to my podcast series, The Voice of Leadership. to the voice of leadership and also to Dr. Karen Speaks Leadership. And today's show, we're going to be talking about what it's like to really be fire forged as a leader and as an executive. And I have a very special guest today. And my special guest is Dove Barron. And Dove Barron is what is called the dragonist. And As the dragonist, Dove shows leaders how to recognize and nurture dragons, also known as the top talent in organizations. Often those dragons are hidden. And Dove says a dragon leader is not a position. It's someone who's always pushing to improve and wants those they serve to also reach their full potential. He is also an Inc. Magazine Top 100 Leadership Speaker, number one Fortune 500 podcast host, entrepreneur magazine contributor, and a loyalty authority. Dove is the leading authority on actualized leadership. Actualized leadership means getting the result you set out to achieve in the most meaningful manner. Working with diverse leaders, and executive teams, he creates fiercely loyal cultures. You can't achieve loyalty without meaning, and your best talent only stays when they feel they are part of something larger than themselves, says Dove. The best-selling author of two books, One Red Thread and Fiercely Loyal, How High-Performing Companies Develop and Retain Top Talent, Dove is also known as one of the top 30 global leadership gurus. He has spoken to the United Nations, in Iran to the World Management Forum, the New York National Speakers Association, and the Servant Leadership Institute. Dove believes the world needs more dragon leaders committed to living their purpose, standing in their truth, and empowering others to find their fire and do the same. Today, Dove shares how dragons are born in fire. Fire experiences that could potentially destroy you are instead turned into fires that birth purpose, passion, and a hunger to champion others to nurture the dragon fire in themselves, their families, their communities, and their companies. So Dove, the dragoness, Welcome to the Voice of Leadership podcast and also to Dr. Karen Speaks Leadership TV show. And thanks so much for being here with me and being my guest today. Thank you, Dr. Karen. It's a pleasure, honor. Always love having these conversations. I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to share and hopefully serve. All right. That's excellent. So let's just jump right in and let's get started right away. And my first question for you is this. I know that you now live in Vancouver, British Columbia, up in Canada, and that your business is successful and you're doing well. However, you were originally born and raised in Northern England in a Jewish home, and you lived in what you say was a ghetto, and you came from very humble beginnings. So tell us a little bit about your early life 
and how you grew up? Well, I was born very young. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I was born in Northern England in a what would be considered a ghetto. It was abject poverty. There was a lot of violence and crime and addiction that surrounded us all the time. It's a weird thing about living in that kind of environment because when you live in those environments, everybody's very friendly in the daytime. You, they, your doors are all open and you can take your kids and drop them off at the neighbor's house because you got to run off to the hospital with one of your other kids. But at night, the bolts go on, the doors are locked because it's not safe. And it's a weird dichotomy about that environment. And that's where I grew up. I grew up there feeling like I was an alien. I didn't fit in. I knew that I wanted something more and I looked at things differently than everybody who was around me. So now that's quite interesting. You felt like an alien. You knew mm. you wanted something more. How did you get that desire from something more in that environment? What entered into the picture that allowed you to see beyond what was right around you? It, it's interesting because uh, when I was, I think I was seven years old, my mom shipped me off to the rabbis because she figured I was possessed uh, okay. <laughs> I think she expected my head to start spinning around and green vomit because I would speak about things that I called beyond the veil, meaning they weren't just here. I had a sense of other things and my mom just didn't understand it. And so I was sent to Lubavitch to be with the rabbis and they started to explain to me about the spiritual world. And that was kind of my opening to that. By the time I was 11, I taught myself prana yoga. Uh, my stepfather had given me a book. And I just had this hunger, this deep hunger of curiosity to understand the world, understand what drove human beings, and understand this sense of was there more. And I wanted more, but not in a, certainly in a material way, but that wasn't the driver. It was in a bigger way. Like, what is this about was my driving question. That's fascinating. So you actually came into the world with almost this hunger, if you will, for the spiritual side or the deeper side of life. And you went on a discovery to sort of like figure out what that was going to be about. Starting mm -hmm. with the rabbis, that was a forced discovery. But nevertheless, sometimes our opportunities, our learning opportunities are just that. So Dove, what are you taking away from this early childhood? Something that you've learned and you still carry with you that, you know, maybe it's survival tips or whatever it may be. What are you bringing from the past? Oh, there's a whole bunch. So first of all, you said it in the beginning, I believe that leaders are forged in fire. And what it means is that, put that into the simplest possible terms, the crappy things that have happened in your life, the things that you would normally think of as terrible that would burn you up are actually the opportunity for uh, what is known in metaphysical or mythological terms as a baptism of fire. They give you the opportunity to burn away the false. So I'm always looking to step into that fire. I'm always looking to say, okay, what is it that I believe is true that might not be true? So for me, a deep sense of curiosity comes from that place. And on top of that, the understanding psychologically, because as you know, I've studied many different forms of psychology, but the deep understanding of psychology that every human being, no matter who they are, whether they're Barack Obama or whether they are Donald Trump, whether they are the Dalai Lama or the, you know, the mass murderer, every human being is simply trying to feel better. And by understanding that from where I came from, it gave me compassion for myself and others, myself much later, but for others quite quickly, just this understanding that whatever you're doing, whatever that person is doing is driving you crazy. 
they're trying to feel better. There's some pain that they may not be aware of that they're trying to ease. And coming at that, you start to understand, okay, well, how can I serve in the world to look at how can I ease the pain of a specific group of individuals, whether those are leaders, whether those are the people I lead, whether those are my team, whether those are my customers or whether my family or my community. You know, that's really a very other-centered approach because so often we'll look at things around us and see what people do and become very personal about it. And we'll say, oh, they're doing this to me. And really, most of the time, it's not about us at all. It's really about something going on with them, like you said, whether they're trying to deal with pain or whatever. And so the fact that you develop this deep empathy is really a gift that you're able to bring forward into into today's world. So that's really phenomenal. I think it came from the fact that many years ago, I was interviewed I was out on tour in Saskatchewan and and I was interviewed by the CBC and they said, you've traveled the world, you've studied with all these different spiritual teachers. Who was your greatest spiritual teacher? And I said, oh, that, you know, I've had many, but I'll tell you who it was. And they said, who? And I said, it'll surprise you. It was my father. They go, oh, was your father a very learned man? I go, no, my father was a sociopathic narcissist. He was a fabulous teacher of what not to be. He taught me the the perils of not connecting, the perils of not caring about other people, the perils of not feeling a connection to anything other than himself. That was a great spiritual lesson. And I've had amazing teachers who were from the Vedanta University in Bombay, Buddhist teachers, Taoist teachers, rabbis, bishops, etc. But that fundamental, we also learn best by looking at what we don't want. If you ask people what they want, most people will say, um, uh, and they'll start, I'm in an iron. Ask them what they don't want, they'll tell you very quickly. So we learn by looking at what don't we want. So my father was a wonderful teacher because he was such a douchebag. And I know that that's probably, <laughs> might be a, I don't know if that's a bleeped out word, but that's what he was. And, and, you know, and it's just, I don't look at that in a way of like, oh, I hated him. It's not that at all. I'm actually very grateful for those lessons. It's taught me a lot. So it's that that brings on the empathy and the compassion is going, oh, that's what it looks like to not have it. No, thanks. Exactly. And it's really, you're sort of fortunate that you have that picture of what you don't want to pursue at the same time, which is really great. Starting to talk a little bit about this stove already, your father being kind of like maybe one of the catalysts for your interest in leadership, you got Mm. a picture of what you didn't want. What other catalysts were there? Were there other sort of catalysts that got you interested in leadership? Well, it's a bit of a long journey, but the shortest possible version of it is, as you know, from what I just said, I started out more in the spiritual metaphysical understanding and not as in a woo-woo sense. I just wanted to understand it. And I got really tired very quickly, even though I traveled the world to study with these great teachers, tired of spiritual people who couldn't get their poo in a pile, who couldn't make a decision, who couldn't hold a relationship. And so I started studying psychology. I wanted to understand what made human beings tick. I studied Jungian psychology. I studied Campbell's work. I studied all these things that now called attachment theory. And I became a therapist and I got sick of people moaning, complaining and whining and not doing anything. So that frustrated me. And I started studying excellence, what today is called leadership. And I wanted to know about people who were making it. What were they doing? What was their mindset? And I began very quickly to understand that there were a lot of those people who were phenomenally successful but oftentimes somewhat sort of spiritually void, kind of soulless, which led me in 1984 stumbling into quantum physics and neurosciences 
And then I started to understand that all these things were tied together. I just needed to bring them together. Then I could make what it, the impact of leadership was, understanding that people who are excellent, we in our society look up at them. Therefore, they have influence. And I will say leadership is very simply, it's impact and influence. Is it good impact and influence? Well, I don't know. That's up to you. So if you take the metaphysical, if you take the psychological, you take the quantum and the neuroscience, and you apply that to the, the impact and the influence, you can make a significant difference. So that was the pull, is that this is about how can I impact the people who can have the greatest amount of impact? That's phenomenal. And it really shows how that in your learning journey, not only are you looking at what not to do, you have the pictures of the excellence and what to sort of strive for as well. And even recognizing there that that wasn't always perfect because sometimes the spiritual part was missing. So you also saw where you could add value in that sense. So let me ask this question, because since you are into the fire-forged experiences and you talk about that, and this is how dragons are born and how they are developed, so to speak, in your own life, yes, you also have a sort of a fire-forged experience, and probably more than one, but I'm thinking about <laughs> one from June of 1990. and. Yep. So since you do practice what you preach, so to speak, tell us about what happened to you and then in your fire force experience there and what you got out of it. Well, in June 1990, I was about as successful as I'd ever been. I was traveling. I was, it was big lineups for me to speak. And, you know, it was, it was pretty cool. I was a legend in my own underpants. At least I thought I was anyway. And so in June 1990, I was an adrenaline junkie. So I was not only very successful, I was an adrenaline junkie. And I went free climbing in British Columbia, Canada by Whistler, which is where the uh, 2010 Olympics were. But this was in 1990. We were at a place called Brandywine Falls, which is this beautiful majestic falls uh, where the water falls off the glacier and then comes down about 200 feet at high speed and then plunges off the edge and we were standing on the top looking over this, and I said to my friend, let's see if we can hike down, which we did. When we got to the bottom, I said, you know, why don't we see if we can get behind the waterfall? And he's like, oh, that sounds a bit crazy. Yep, that sounds a good idea. Okay, we'll do it. So we did it. And when we came out on the other side, I felt like Superman. I felt like I had a big ass tattooed on my chest and I could do anything. I was full of positive energy. I just felt like I could conquer the world. And I said, let's not hike up. Let's free climb. Now, if you don't know what that is, mountain climbing, you might look at if you've never done it and think it's kind of crazy. It's not. The safety lines, there's all kinds of things that keep you safe. Free climbing, on the other hand, is a little crazier because you've only got chalk and the right clothing on. Free climbing while soaking wet without chalk or the right clothing on, that is for the insane, and that's what we began to do. It was beyond moderately. It was completely insane. It was beyond abyssal. It was definitely magnificently mashugi. It was crazy. So <laughs> that's what we did. And at about 120 feet, I reached for a rock that dislodged a bigger rock that hit me in the face and sent me hurtling down at maximum velocity onto the boulders below. Not grass, not gravel, but boulders. I was smashed to pieces, and uh, I can tell you the gory details. They don't matter. But 11 reconstructive surgeries later, I died five times during that process. So that was the moment of the, the crash, as I always like to say, I fell 120 feet from a self-imposed pedestal and landed on my ego. Mm. So I got smashed open. And people think that that's the moment where you change. It's not. That's not where the fire is. 
the fire doesn't come until later. If you ask somebody, well, you know, you had a heart attack, did that change your life? People will usually say yes, but it doesn't. You know, you were diagnosed with this, did it change your life? Yes. No, it doesn't. It doesn't come till later. It's the moment when everything can go back to normal and you choose something else. That's when you've really been forged by the fire because the fire is there to burn away what was. It's not to recreate it. And so when I fell and people would ask me, how you doing? I'd say, I'm great. I'm coming back. That was a lie because there is no back. That's not how evolution works in anything. So there's always forward. And I was trying to come back and that was devastating. And it put me into a very, very, very dark depression for about nine months. So, you know, you're really talking about the learning journey because you really don't have the change until you learn something different and do something different. And as you're saying, if you're just coming back to the status quo of what was before this significant impact, then where was the learning? You know, what's new and what's different? And you described your before life maybe in need of a, a dose of humility, perhaps. <laughs> so, so tell us a little bit about what you personally learned and what was different for you on the back end of this experience. Thank you for asking. So in that time, that nine months that followed where I was in a deep, dark depression, like I said, uh, I was put the bravado on. People say, how are you doing? I'm like, I'm great. Um, because I was a ghetto kid. I'd been a boxer. I'd been a martial artist. I'd been a leader in different companies and in different countries. I'd done all kinds of cool things. So I wasn't going to let anybody see that I was feeling defeated. You know, I was in full denial. And I would go out with my mates on occasionally on weekends. And I'd noticed that I didn't laugh. And, you know, I like a good laugh. And I, and I thought, oh, my God, you know, I'm never going to come back. I've lost my sense of humor. But on one particular Saturday night, I was out with the boys and I had a good time and I laughed and I thought, okay, I am coming back. I came home filled with pretty much filled with joy, opened the back door. And as I opened the back door, the light, the cast light across the floor and across the floor was festooned garbage everywhere. There were uh, meat wrappers, there were coffee grinds, there was kitty litter. It smelled horrible. And I knew exactly, exactly who the culprit was. And I went from feeling joy to feeling rage, full blown rage, like I'd not known before. And I went looking for the culprit and I wanted to, and this is, I'm not editing this. I wanted to kill the culprit. I was enraged. All the rage that I'd repressed in myself since being in this place was suddenly unmanageable. It bubbled to the surface. And I got into the living room and there, curled up on the couch, completely comfortable, was the culprit. I lifted my hand to strike and about halfway down, stopped myself because that's not who I am. And picked up my cat in my arms and pulled my cat to my chest. And my cat was cold and he was dead. Mm. And I fell to my knees and I began to weep. I wasn't there very long before I realized I'm not crying for this cat. Mm -hmm. I'm crying for the life that is dead, that is gone, that is, was mine. And I just laid on the floor and I wept and I wept and I wept and I realized it's over. I have three choices, which is the first one is to keep trying to go back, which clearly wasn't working. To stay where I was, which was incredibly seductive. The idea that I could be a victim of these circumstances, that it wasn't my fault. I tried really hard. I worked hard. I had success and then fate had stolen it away from me. What a fabulous victim story. And nobody could blame me for quitting. That was very seductive. 
But the third option was, why am I here? Not just in this situation, in this circumstance, but why am I here on the planet? Now, if you'd have asked me a minute before I fell, do I have a purpose? My answer would have been yes. But I'd never dug into the shadow self. I'd never gone into the darkest parts of myself and said, what am I here to heal in the world? What is it that I need to make a difference in the world about? Not other people say, oh, my purpose is to make a difference. No, no, not in a vague sense, in a very specific sense. And I began to look at that and dive deep into that. That was the moment. Remember, as I'd come home from the night out, I was feeling like things could go back to normal. Now I was confronted with the choice, normal, which is not doing anything. There's no real learning. There's some good story to tell, but there's no real learning or the choice to move into something else, which means to step into the fire and let everything you've believed burn away and be willing to question everything. I began to question my faith. I began to question God. I began to question my psychology. I began to question my beliefs. I began to question why I was on the planet. What was money about? What was the purpose of my living? All those things. And that was not a pleasant journey. So don't think it was. It wasn't but it was transformational because out of that fire, the dragon came forward. And dragons are a beautiful metaphor because dragons breathe fire, but the front scale on their chest is completely translucent. You can see their heart. And that is the paradox of, of dragons, is that they breathe fire and they lead with their heart. Their most vulnerable piece is on display and their fire. And they protect, in all mythology, dragons protect what is valuable. That's why it's dragon leadership. Oh, I love that description because it's a much deeper than what you normally might think about. I mean, leading with the vulnerable heart that often is hidden in most people. And you're also saying that, yeah, there's the fire and the fire has a purpose and it, it burns, but it's, it's a fire that has a heart to it as well. So it's not just burning for destruction's sake. We're talking about burning so that a person becomes refined. They become their better selves, if you will. So I want to go back for a second to the cat because mm -hmm. the cat to me is such a metaphor of yes. this cat. He engaged in all of this, I'll say, destruction. Sure. And that destruction was the prelude to this death, if you will. Absolutely. And when things are dying, you know, there's that destructive part that happens, but it's also part of the transformation. It's part of the metamorphosis. It's part of the change. And if you only look at the destruction, then you miss the doorway that's been opened up to the new, you know, so to Absolutely. speak. Absolutely. So I just think that is so powerful that if you had struck the cat, didn't know the cat was even dead already, you might not have really seen the full story. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. It's a baptism of fire. Mm -hmm. The baptism of fire it is, so I always say to people, enlightenment, you think of it as this, woo, woo, woo. enlightenment is a destructive process. It requires you to burn away what you've held as truth that is false, but you can't know it until you're willing to question it. All truth is truth until you question it. All truth is simply truth until you question it. Then you discover maybe it's not. And if you really want to be on your own path, the question to ask yourself is, what is it that I believe? And then say, how is this possibly not true? Be willing to question everything you believe and then say, how is that not true? And what you'll find is that deep level of curiosity will 
allow you to grow. You look at a certain piece of people of race or of, or of color or of faith or of stature, and you say, those people are. Well, how do you know? Well, because I met one. Well, have you met them all? No. So is it true? Truth is very simple. If you want to understand truth, it's very simple. It is universally true and unwavering. So I say to you, okay, is gravity true? You say, well, I guess, yes, it is. Mm, well, it's actually not unwavering. It is true. There is always gravity. But if you're in space, there's less gravity. If you're on the moon, there's less gravity. So it's not unwavering. So even gravity, which is a universal truth, is wavering. And it allows us to then be open-minded. This deep curiosity allows us to explore a deeper level because the universe and everything in it is paradoxical. This is what Albert Einstein understood. It's what made him a genius. It's how he came up with, with his theory of relativity. It's what Niels Bohr discovered in quantum physics, that there's a wave and there's a particle. They're both at the same time. Everything is paradoxical. So when you look at somebody and you go, that person is evil or bad, that's a paradox. There's something in them that they believe is entirely good. Listen, I was born Jewish, as you said, and I know for sure with absolute certainty that Adolf Hitler believed he was a good person. He was a vegetarian and he loved animals dearly and hated cigarettes. Well, I love animals and I hate cigarettes. Does that make me Adolf Hitler? No, but I can have compassion for that part. Everybody is paradoxical. And when you understand that, you start to have a deeper level of compassion for people and you are willing to question your own limiting beliefs. You know, I also think it's really powerful that as you begin to examine what it is that you believe and are willing to have it tested in the fire, that what also happens is what is valuable, I guess I'll say, and yep. what is true can mm -hmm. handle the fire. You Absolutely. think about like gold and when gold is refined and the impurities are burned off, the gold doesn't get destroyed. What's really the true value remains even through Absolutely. the fire. And so I think we can safely say that there's no need to fear the fire because the fire is what gets you to the core of what's most valuable and what's most important in life. So I really appreciate what you're saying about this phenomenon that you are describing in essence. Let me ask you another piece about this, Dove, because you've talked a lot about what being forced through the fire is all about. And the experience itself is not the end game, so to speak. You've got mm -hmm. to process some things. You've got to learn some things and you've got to change. Now, you also have said before that it's different. The dragon fire is different from mission or purpose. Can you unpack that a little bit as well and, and share with Absolutely. us? Absolutely. Thank you for asking. So, uh, when I say Dragonfly, often people think, oh, you know, it's, that's a new branding way of saying mission or purpose or vision. No, no. So um, a mission is where you want to go to. A vision is how you're going to get there. That's fine. And a purpose, as uh, Simon Sinek put it very well, is your why. That's great. And people will say, well, you know, I've done that work because I read Simon's book, uh, Start With Why. And I go, do you know the first word of that book title? And they go, yes, yeah, start. And I go, that's right. It's the start. It's not the end. So Dragonfire is the why of your why. So what does that mean? Well, I'm going to tell you in the simplest way that I can, by, if I may tell you a short story. A while ago, somebody who's become a very good friend of mine, who was actually a guest on one of my shows, his name is Jamie. 
Jamie Mustard, who wrote a book that is a best-selling book, was the number one book in the world for a while in branding called The Iconist. I highly recommend you get it if you want to be uh, understand how to do branding. But in, a, in an interview with him, I was explaining to him about Dragonfire. He was asking me about it. And he said, you know, he says, I'll be honest with you. I back away. When you talk about that, I back away from that. I don't want to go there. And I said, I, I understand that. I said, uh, Jamie, you know, in the interview, let, let's talk a little bit about your childhood. And he goes, okay. I said, what was it like being a kid where you were? And he says, well, you know, as you know, I was born in LA, mixed race kid. He goes, I didn't really fit in with the black kids. I didn't really fit in with the white kids. And I was you know, really developmentally struggling with all kinds of things. Uh, he was illiterate, et cetera. And I said, yeah, I understand that. He said, this is what was the overall feeling? He goes, I just felt invisible. And I said, oh, okay. What do you do for a living, Jamie? And he goes, well, I'm the brand guy. I'm the iconist. You know that. And I go, yep, I do know that. What's your central message? He goes, well, I make you stand out from, through the noise. I said, can you say that in another way? He goes, yeah, I take you out of being invisible and make the world see you. And I go, hmm. What did you need when you were a kid? And he went, oh my God, you bastard, you're good at this. <laughs> I said, yes, that's what it means to be in your dragon fire. You are giving the world what you needed in a way that not only heals you, but creates that healing in the world. You've just found a different outlet for it called business, but it doesn't matter. It's the same thing. So that's what it is. It's not a mission or a vision or even a why. It's the why of your why. It's you giving the world the very thing you needed. It's bringing that to you. It's the thing that if you're, even if you're watching this or listening to this and you're 30, 40, 50, 60 years old and you go, yeah, but I'm past all that. No, you're not. We carry this stuff with us because here's the news. Your unconscious mind, Dr. Karen, I'll tell you this. Your unconscious mind has no chronology. It has no clock. It doesn't know the difference between whether you're seven or 70. Somebody pushes that button, you will have the psychological reaction as if you were seven. It makes no difference. So that emotional need, that hunger within you is going to be there. That is what's important. So you recognize that that's what your dragon fire is for you to serve the world with what it is you needed. And you know what? That is so powerful because it's the leader really showing up. Oh, yeah. And who they really are, not mm -hmm. hiding behind a bunch of words or hiding behind some concepts or something that you would like to do. You have to go on a journey yourself. It's and that deep so, vulnerability of the yes, heart first. Exactly. And uh, that's what attracts those who also need whatever you needed to you for the work and the transformation. So it's quite powerful because we're walking in our most powerful ways and our most powerful selves when we're willing to get in touch with that and we're willing to engage it as you've been bringing out. There's so many ways and different directions we could go in. Let me ask you this though, Dove, right now, Dove, we are in a situation where agility is even more important than it's ever been before. Mm -hmm. Businesses really do need to think about how to operate in new ways, which might also mean being in new ways, so to speak, you know, mm -hmm. who they really are. So when you think about this place we're in in the world right now, what's your best advice and counsel for what businesses can do to be more innovative? And I think it may be hidden a little bit in what you've been talking about. Well, as you know, I work with high-level leaders in organizations and with their companies in helping them build culture around their dragonfire. 
And one of the things that when, for instance, when the pandemic hit, I contacted all the leaders that I was working with and said, I know you might be thinking about cutting me back and I'm not interested in trying to keep you on. I just want you to know you need me now more than ever. And they're like, well, why do you say that? And I said, because you need to be a leader now more than ever of people. And what does that mean? And so I wrote a piece you can find on the internet and it's called Agility is the New Certainty. And so you have to be agile. But what does agility mean? It's like innovation. People throw these words around. They don't really know what they mean. And what it really means is agility is actually the first piece around agility is listening and paying attention. If you're not listening and paying attention, you're doing what I was doing the moment I came home to the kitchen. Oh, I can get back to normal. People are talking about, you know, when everything gets back to normal, it ain't going back to normal. Normal is over. Forget about it. It's done. Now, what are you going to create? Agility is not about how can we tweak it a little bit. It's about what is next. Not how can we take what this was and make it a little bit. No, no. What's next? I'm in the speaking world. I have been for 30 odd years. My friends are all speakers. They're all like, yeah, well, you know, when, when it all comes back and we go back out, I'm like, it ain't happening, dude. It ain't happening in your lifetime. It ain't happening. So what are you going to do instead? You mean we have to do Zoom the rest of our lives? No. I just don't know what it is. You have to think about that, what it is for you. What is next? So the agility is, is in being willing to let go of what it was. Because here's the thing, you know, we've all heard this. Uh, another thing that happened during the, when the pandemic first hit, that DNI, the, the financing for DNI, diversity and inclusion, went out of the window. It was gone. Gone. Then Black Lives Matter and everybody's like, oh my God, like we got to get diversity. Like, you know, uh, well, you know, you might have wanted that agility a little bit before this. So it's the same thing is everybody's waiting to react and then they scramble. But you can be ahead of that. Every single time when you step into saying, okay, what are the real problems? Because everything is a symptom and we deal our lives as leaders. Oftentimes we're focused on symptoms, not problems. I hear people say, you know, the problem is Donald Trump. No, it's not. Donald Trump is a symptom. People say, oh, the problem is the hard left and Nancy Pelosi and all that or, or uh, Bernie Sanders. No, that's a symptom. These are not problems. These are symptoms. If you solve a symptom, guess what? Manifest somewhere else in a worse form. Stop dealing with symptoms. So agility is about saying, what's underneath that? What's underneath that? What's underneath that? What's underneath that? And again, it's like, well, here's my mission. Here's my vision. Oh, okay. Here's my purpose, my why. But what's the why of your why? And what is it you're trying to heal in the world? And it's these levels going down that we need to do. That's what agility is. That's what we must have. Agility is the new certainty. So the only thing you can be certain of is that it, whatever it is, is not going to be the same tomorrow as it was today. And if you're waiting for things to go back to normal, bye-bye, you're a dinosaur. <laughs> okay, so you're saying several things here that are really important. One, the whole issue about the symptom and not focusing on the symptoms of getting behind that. So people are out there listening right now and they're saying, okay, well, if, if the problem's not Donald Trump, if the problem's not Nancy Pelosi, and if these are symptoms, what is the problem? So in a succinct way, what would you invite people to look at instead of the symptoms? 
Well, again, it's incredibly subjective because it would depend on where you're coming from. But I think that the, the simplest thing to understand is if we look at this, one of the things I'm talking about now to leaders is we've talked about diversity and inclusion, but I'm now talking about division. People go, why are you talking about division? Because if you're a company and you have, let's say you have 500 employees and you're in America, what does that mean in the context of a vote? That means that half of your staff are likely Donald Trump fans and half of them are left. Ah, so how are you going to keep these people unified working for you and believing in the dragon fire, the purpose of your organization? If you don't know how to do that, that's then you're just dealing with symptoms. That's the problem you got to go after. You're going to have to go after division. How do you create the bridge of division that creates safety that is not a safety like this horse crap left-wing safety of, oh, every word, we have to be careful and use the right pronouns and be politically correct. That's nonsense. I'm sorry. I know I offend a lot of people. It's nonsense. That's not diversity. What it is, is common ground. We have to find where we're common, where we come together. Your skin and my skin are different colors. So what? I am also not wearing a flower in my hair. So what? I don't have dreads. So what? Like we might be different faiths. We might be different colors. We live in different countries. There's a million things about us that are different. Where do we find the commonality? And as leaders, that is the problem we've got to go after, not the symptom. When you're looking for the problem of something, you say, okay, what causes it? What causes it is the belief that we're different. So how are we the same? Come at that. Come at how we're the same, not at pointing out how you're wrong because you didn't use the right pronoun or you're wrong because you wear a red hat. That's ludicrous. Here's the thing. Again, I want to remind you, everybody is trying to feel better. Everybody's in some kind of pain. You're, if you want to find out what the issue is, what you really want to go after, go at healing people's pain. And I'm not talking about in a woo-woo crystal up the bum kind of way. I'm talking in a real sense. Like, what are you going to do to bring people together? What is the unifying piece around it? When you start to understand that, then you bring your people together. So I want to give you a real problem that's related to what you're talking about right now, both right now, which is this. We're in these polarizing times, mm -hmm. and particularly in the United States. People are sharply divided yep. on many issues. And you've been talking about the importance of finding common ground. Imagine that you were the, actually the leadership consultant, the advisor to the incoming president in the United States. And since you live in Canada, you're safe. You can say whatever you want over here. But here's what I'm going to ask you is what specific advice and counsel would you give to the incoming president of the U.S. about how to unify the people and the country? What would you even recommend and suggest to get to that common ground? Thank you for asking. As you know, I am asked to do political commentary and I, because I follow politics and political leadership from, for 40 years. So I'm very involved in politics just because I don't live in America doesn't mean I'm not. And the answer is very simple. Look at what you think is the problem which is Donald Trump. Not the problem. Not the problem at all. Here's the thing. People say, oh, well, you know, uh, a bunch of racists and misogynists voted for Donald Trump. No, they didn't. No, they didn't. In 2016, I'll tell you exactly who, who swung the vote for Donald Trump. 
who swung the vote for Donald Trump were the same people who swung the vote for Barack Obama, people who wanted change. That was the defining moment. They wanted the political system to be different, and they saw Hillary Clinton as the same. And here's the problem with Joe Biden is he is likely to create a lot of the same, which will feel like a respite from all the crazy that's gone on in the last few years, all the drama all the time. But it won't deal with the problem. It will deal with the symptom. People will take a breath. The nighttime comedians will go, oh, my God, it's, you know, like it's kind of boring now. Yes, but it's still not dealing with the problem. So what have you got to do? Well, you know what? You got to go listen because the problem with politics today is very simple. Money. Money. Citizens United has made it a mess and it was a mess before that. So we have got to go to the Appalachians and we've got to talk to them. The Green New Deal is terrible for people who live in the Appalachians. It's wonderful for people who live in California. So you got to listen to Californians. You got to listen to people in the Appalachians. You got to listen to the hard right. You got to listen to the hard left. You got to listen to all these people and you got to find a unifying piece of what this people need. What does it mean to be an American that is beyond the politics? That's what you got to do. So the problem is there's a lot of show of looking like you're listening. That's different than you're listening. Donald Trump got elected because he appeared, and I will emphasize the word appeared, to be listening to those people. I wrote about uh, a piece before he was elected, and it was called Decoding Trump, and I predicted that he would become the, the president, and I said, why? And the very the simplicity of it is the greatest scam ever pulled was I'm one of you to the working class of America. That's how desperate they were that they would listen to a guy born with a silver spoon whose dad gave him hundreds of millions of dollars and they believed that he was one of them. That is not a fool on them. That's a statement of desperation. There are people in cults today. People go, how can anybody be in a cult? They must be idiots. No, they're not idiots. They're incredibly intelligent. They're lawyers. They're doctors. They're all kinds of things. And they're average people. But there is something being offered there that they can't get anywhere else. That is what you, as the incoming president, must do. You must go looking for what is it that no one's offering them and nobody's listening to that you want to wrap your arms around, that you're willing to take a risk and a chance on. And unfortunately, where leaders fall down is they lack curiosity and they lack courage. The courage to be curious about the things they don't want to hear and the courage to take action on the things they don't necessarily agree with that are actually for the good of the greater good, which might be your organization, it might be your community, it might be your country. You know, it's such a profound thing what you're talking about right now because it's also a call to not only just be willing to listen and to be curious, when you're thinking about what the people need to make it real, in other words, not be fake, not be looking or appearing like you're providing a true solution, but to really be providing one in essence. And so I think that's really profound uh, words of wisdom really for today's time. So Dove, as we're sort of wrapping things up here a bit, how can people get in touch with you? How can they access your books? Say some more about that so that people can find you again. Well, thank you for letting me do that, Karen. Appreciate it. Um, if you want to find out more about me, the easiest place is D-O-V 
B-A-R-O-N.com, dovebaron.com. That's the easiest place to find access to my books and my trainings and my private work. If you want to work with me privately, you can do that. There is, I will tell you, a very rigid process to work with me. I only work with six private clients a year, one-on-one, although I do work with more than that in companies and organizations. You can find out about all that through dovebaron.com. You can find my books. There are 12 or 13 of them on Amazon, of course, and uh, YouTube channel, Dov Baron, The Dragonist. There's about 700 videos there. I also have a publication platform on Medium called The Dragon's Den. You can find that on Medium. So all those places, you can find out about my two podcasts on dovebaron.com as well. And anytime you want to reach out to me, it's very simple. I'm going to give you, I'm crazy, I know, I'm going to give you my email address. It's dov, D-O-V, at dovbaron.com. You can write to me. I encourage you to write to me because here's the thing. Information is with the whole Nadona. Transformation comes from application. Write to me. Tell me what you got out of it and tell me what you're going to do with what I talked about. And please write to Dr. Karen. Tell her too, because she takes the time to bring you these guests. We volunteer our time to serve you. She volunteers the time. I volunteer my time. And these things are not going to just magically happen. They take work. They take prep. They take a lot of things. Write to her. Tell her what you got out of the show. Share the show with your friends. Write to your friends and put it out to them. Tell them what you got out of it, what you're going to do with it. So rate, review, subscribe to the show on all of your podcast platforms. Share it with your friends. Share the YouTube videos with your friends. Let people know about this and let us know what you're going to do with it. Dove at DoveBaron.com. All right. Fantastic. So Dove, what else would you like to say as your words of wisdom that you want to leave for my audience of executive business leaders? Something maybe you haven't said yet or just your wrap up comment. Sure. I want to say this. Some of it I've said before, but simply, when you're approaching human beings, remember, everybody's in pain. Sometimes they don't know it. Sometimes they're hiding it, and sometimes it's evident. So when you look at the person in the street who has a needle in their arm or they're drunk, they're in pain. But so is that person smiling next to you in church. They're all in pain. The pain may be more obvious or less obvious. So if you look at people in that way, not with, not with pity, but with compassion, pity is a waste of time, but with compassion, by asking, how can I serve? What can I do to bring some light into this person's life today? And there's only one way to do that. You have to stay curious, my friend. Stay curious. In everything you do, stay curious, my friend. Stay curious. Thank you so much, Dove, for being a wonderful guest today and really challenging people's mindsets and assumptions and ways of thinking about everyday life. And I want to just add to that summary to the audience and say thank you out there in the Voice of Leadership audience, as well as Dr. Karen Speaks Leadership, for being with us today. And just remember what Dove said today, that there are many people who are in pain. There is a good reason why people do what they do. Have empathy, be willing to be curious, be willing to look and to learn and to lead from the heart and be willing to serve. Actually make a difference and come up with an answer that's not just addressing a symptom. So you heard it today on the show and from our guest, Dove Barron. So we'll see you next time. Did you know 
that teams do the bulk of the work in successful organizations. And for this reason, it's very important to build and develop your teams. And first, you might want to know where you are in the process. So I invite you to take the complimentary team assessment to identify your current strengths and also your learning opportunities in launching and developing high-performance teams that get dynamic organizational results. So go to my website, www.transleadership.com, and you'll see on the homepage, there's a brown bar that says, take the high-performance team assessment. You'll find it just under the running photographs. Click there and get your results. You've been listening to The Voice of Leadership with me, Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks. And I want to give a special thanks to jazz saxophonist Ron McMillan for granting us permission to use his gifted music on our show. Thanks for listening. And remember to go to my website, transleadership.com, for more strategies, insights, and leadership resources.